In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen and blessings to you this morning. A couple of years ago, I came across an article written in 1990 by David Steindl Rast called The Mystical Core of Organized Religion. It's a brief and brilliant essay that argues that at the foundation of all religions is a mystical experience of truth, goodness, and beauty, and that the hope of all faith and all religion is that the heart of our religion becomes the religion of our hearts. And over time, and as our intellect, our will, and our emotions inevitably process and try to preserve the mystical, the basic elements of religion, doctrine, ethics, and ritual are thus born. Over time and under the influence of our historical developments and circumstances, our doctrines eventually morph into dogmatism. Our ethics devolve into legalism and our rituals turn into ritualism. We imagine less and obey more. We start to color inside the lines. We think and act only according to the rules that have been handed down to us. Now, I should tell you now that I'm experiencing something like a conundrum this morning because the passage that we have just heard from chapter 7 in the Gospel according to Mark is part one of a two-part story that will continue next Sunday. The story begins when Jesus and his disciples are joined by a group of Pharisees and scribes. A debate between Jesus and the Pharisees quickly ensues after the Pharisees observe that some of Jesus' followers are eating without washing their hands. But this is not an argument about hygiene. According to the Pharisees, Jesus' disciples are not following the tradition of the elders, and by eating with defiled hands, they are digesting food that will result in ritual impurity. We should note here that it is only some of Jesus' followers who are not following the tradition of the elders, and perhaps more important, the accusation of defilement is leveled at Jesus' followers. Not at Jesus himself. Not yet, anyway. Those accusations will come later, of course. But it's a curious detail that allows us to conclude that what is happening here is only the beginning of the Pharisees' questioning about Jesus' own understanding of what is clean and unclean. And it's a question more profoundly about what it means to be considered holy about what or who is holy and who or what is not. Unholy and therefore undeserving, we might say. You'll have to tune in next week for part two of the story, which gets even juicier. And when the words of Jesus, the words that Jesus will utter, will sound more righteous than the Pharisees, revealing an evolution of Jesus' own understanding of the boundless love of God. Spoiler alert here, thanks to a woman, he'll get over it. 
but for now and trying to stay in the lane that we've been given today. Jesus responds to the accusation by the Pharisees that his followers are not adhering to Israel's purity regulations, which have come via the Pharisees' interpretation of divine law with a keen irony. He quotes from the book of Isaiah, the prophet who denounced the Israelites for honoring God with their lips and not with their lives. In effect, worshiping Yahweh in vain and teaching human precepts as doctrine while abandoning the commandments of God. A faithful rendering of Jesus' response to the accusation by the Pharisees might go something like this. <clears throat> you do know that it's not so much what goes into a person that defiles them as much as what comes out, right? Jesus deflects the Pharisees' charge about his followers by contrasting their keyword tradition with the truer call to obey the commandments of God, not religious tradition. To be sure, and as the New Testament makes crystal clear, neither Jesus nor his followers step blithely across traditional boundaries of religious thought and practice, and neither should we. In the book of Acts, Peter, who is criticized by his companions in faith for eating with the uncircumcised, explains that his own choice to violate tradition came because of a rooftop vision in Jaffa and resulted in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on a Roman household. What? You ate with the Romans? What were you thinking? But because of that vision, and for Peter, Jews were no longer clearly marked off from Gentiles, something that threatened the very identity of the circumcised as being the chosen people of God, the Holy Ones. It's hard for us to understand the magnitude of the revelation Peter experienced and even harder to understand how what sounds like common sense can be so threatening to the faithful. And perhaps it's helpful here to remember the not-so-distant past when, according to our own tradition, our sexual identity prevented a whole host of people from being ordained as ministers or pastors in our church. A reality that is alive and well in many Protestant denominations. We should also note that neither the Roman or the Orthodox churches have come to accept that sexuality and gender are irrelevant to the call to proclaim the gospel. This, I think, is what this and next week's readings from the Gospel of Mark compel us to consider and to think about. Mind you, I have no particulars in my own mind here, and I am not suggesting that we become, as many like to say these days, 
spiritual, but not religious. I only ask how or in what ways is our faith evolving? What are the traditions we must begin to leave behind? Where or how has our own faith, yours and mine, become hidebound, self-righteous, unwilling or resistant to change, clinging to tradition and convention? Who is welcome at our tables? Where do we draw our own lines when it comes to our compassionate response to the needs of the world? And when might our pragmatic sense of self-preservation as the church and as individuals outweigh God's call to be holy? In the hope that the heart of our religion might become the religion of our hearts, perhaps we shall conclude our service this homily where today's service began, the collect of the day. Let us pray. Lord of all power and might, the author and giver of all good things, graft in our hearts the love of your name, increase in us true religion, nourish us with all goodness, and bring forth in us the fruit of good works through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.